Welcome to the third installment of uh, Viking Tech Talks, a podcast on technical questions. I'm Jim Lake. I'm here with uh, Sean Kramer again. To this edition of Tech Talks, we're going to be looking at the frequently asked questions regarding pre-action systems that we get into our technical services team. Uh, Sean, we're going to start off with a couple of the basics and then uh, get into some of these more intricate questions. Uh, first of all, what, what's the difference between um, a single interlock and a double interlock pre-action system? We get that question quite a bit, Jim. Uh, single interlock pre-action is where you have one specific action that has to happen before the valve is going to open. Double interlock pre-action system, you require two specific actions that have to happen before the valve is going to open. So you'll see similarities where you might have air in the piping for a single interlock pre-action system as well as a double interlock pre-action system, as well as some type of detection for both of those systems. However, the single interlock pre-action system is going to open the valve just upon activation of the detection. The air pressure is there only for supervisory purposes. Whereas the double interlock pre-action, you're going to have the activation of your detection as well as you require the loss of air pressure on the system before the valve is going to open. Okay, now there's a, there is a third type that we always kind of, and I, and I know I used to run into this a lot when I was, you know, when, when we would teach the standards and we would teach NFPA 13 and, and there's a, another one called the non-interlock system. And this time, this kind of confuses people as well. So what, what exactly does a non-interlock or how does the non-interlock system work in comparison to those other two? Yeah, so the non-interlock pre-action system is a little bit different to the extent that it's an either or type of situation. Where a single interlock, you have one specific action that has to happen, double interlock, two specific actions. With a non-interlock pre-action system, now it can be either loss of air pressure in the system or activation of the detection is going to trip the system. Hmm. You'll see the single interlock and the double interlock a lot more commonly than the non-interlock. Uh, one of the times you can see the non-interlock pre-action system is for a larger capacity system where you may want to go with a pre-action system over a dry system mm -hmm. in that type of uh, configuration. Okay. Um, so how do I know what trim to use then with all these selections of pre-action systems? You know, I, I, once one's been selected, how, do we, how does one know what trim to select and use? Well, we keep it pretty simple, so that's kind of nice. Uh, as far as all our standard pre-action systems, not getting into our specialty surefire and fire cycle, but all our standard single, double, and even non-interlock pre-action systems, use all the same conventional trim. Mm -hmm. So the bulk of the trim is all going to be the same regardless of what type of system you have for a pre-action system. Right. And then you just have to decide how you want to release it. Mm -hmm. So if it's single interlock, we have just your standard electric release trim. Mm -hmm. If it's double interlock electric pneumatic, we have uh, electric pneumatic release trim with your solenoid and pneumatic actuator on it. Mm -hmm. So the bulk of the trim's the same. We're just looking at the different release trims as to how we're going to define the specific type of system we have. Okay. And you, you mentioned fire cycle. I, I know that's a, just, a, just looking ahead, that's another section of questions altogether. That's a whole other new episode we're going to put in on, on, uh, on Tech Talks. I know that. So hold your, hold your thoughts, guys, on, on the uh, on, on 
Fire Cycle, because that's going to have its own own special edition. Surefire, we're going to get to a little bit later in the, in this particular uh, uh, episode here. Um, so, if we if we continue on down through this, so we've got three different kinds of valves, uh, three different types of models anyway, model valves. Uh, e, F, and G. So why do Viking pre-action systems use an easy riser check valve when we're doing model E or using a model E or a model F deluge? But with the G series pre-action systems, we don't require the easy riser check. So what, what's the difference here? Well, when you look at the model E, which is our angle style deluge valve, or the model F, which is our straight through style deluge valve, you have to put the easy riser check valve on top of that to hold the air pressure in the system. Mm -hmm. What they have on it uh, for the outlet chamber of the valve, you, you have trim connected to it with a drip check. Mm -hmm. And that drip check is always in the open position. So it never seals off like the F1 dry pipe valve drip check. That one seals off, but this one never seals off. So if you had air pressure getting by the easy riser check valve coming down to that drip check, it would just continue to go out of the drip check and you would never be able to establish the air pressure in the piping network. So that's why the easy riser check valve is required for the Model E and the Model F. However, we came out with the G series uh, around 2008, we came out with the, the four inch model and then the corresponding sizes a couple of years down the road. But that was designed to have an internal check valve inside the valve so that you don't need that easy riser check valve anymore to hold the air pressure in the system. It's holding it on top of the valve and separating it from the outlet chamber of the G-Series valve mm -hmm. where it did not do that with the Model E and the Model F design. Okay, so it's internal, it's not, it, it's not external. Okay, that's, that's your, those are your big differences there. Okay, um, so how many Viking pre-action systems can we actually, I mean, obviously, some big big locations need a lot of different systems and might have multiple pre-action systems. Um, how many systems can we actually um, monitor uh, on a with a VFR 400, the Viking VFR 400 control panel? Well, it all depends upon how the system's being set up and what type of system it is. So, for example, if we just have a single uh, interlock pre-action system with electric release in a non-cross zone configuration, we can control two pre-action systems simultaneously with one VFR 400 release control panel. However, we have a single interlock pre-action system and say we're putting it in a server room where it's very common to see uh, cross zone configuration. Now we're using up both of the detection circuits on the VFR 400. So now if we're cross zoning it with the same single interlock uh, pre-action system with electric release, now we can only control one system with a panel because of the cross-zone configuration. When we start to look at double interlock pre-action systems, the electric pneumatic, for example, since we're just releasing the solenoid upon activation of the detection, it's very similar to the standard single interlock electric release. You can control two with one VFR 400 release control panel. But now when we look at, say, the double interlock electric, new electric, where the solenoid's tied into the loss of air pressure through our air supervisory switch, as well as tied into the activation of the detection, and it needs both of those actions before the solenoid's going to get energized open, 
we're already using both of those detection zones for that system. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you can only use one VFR 400 panel per system, and you would not be able to control up to two systems like you would with an electric pneumatic. Um, next question then is, uh, why is the gauge, and this, this is actually somebody writing in that's saying they, they have a situation here uh, where the gauge is reading, uh, the gauge reading the prime pressure is higher than the gauge that is reading the inlet pressure. Aren't they both supplied from the same source? So why would they be reading differently? Well, that's a very common occurrence, especially if you have a, a municipal supply that you're connected to where you have fluctuations in the pressures between daytime and nighttime. Uh, when you look at the, the prime chamber, it's a two to one differential. So that's how we can use the same pressure to hold the valve closed as to what's coming into the inlet. What I mean by that is that the inlet is gonna be half the surface area of the prime chamber above, so you can hold back twice as much water in the prime chamber as you would as to what's coming into the inlet. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have 100 PSI coming in and we set up our um, pre-action system. So we got 100 PSI on our prime pressure gauge, we got 100 PSI on our water supply gauge. Mm -hmm. Now we come back the next day, now the prime pressure says 130 PSI, but the water supply gauge still says 100 PSI. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened is the water supply gauge is reading the current water pressure. And that one can fluctuate up and down over time. It can read different pressures throughout the day. Mm -hmm. The prime pressure gauge on our priming line, we have a check valve that leads into the priming chamber. So once we go through that check valve, we lock in the highest pressure that the prime chamber's been exposed to. Mm -hmm. So it's very common to see that example of 130 PSI prime, 100 PSI at the inlet, because once the, the detection, your release device opens, you're going to release that prime pressure anyway. So it mm -hmm. doesn't matter that you have 130 on top, it's not going to be there once our release device activates and the 100 PSI will still open the valve and flow through the system. Right, that's what I was gonna ask. I mean, should, should we be concerned about that? Is there, a, is there a pressure level that we should be concerned about? Is there a, you know, you said 100 to 130, but is there a percentage or a, a, should we ever be concerned about too much in there? Yeah, the, the concern comes when you would exceed 250 PSI because that's yeah. your maximum rating of the valve. Of the valve. So, I mean, even if you had, and it wouldn't be a common situation, but even if there was an occurrence where you had, say, 220 on top of the valve and still only 100 PSI coming in, mm -hmm. as soon as your release device opens, you're losing right. that pressure okay. and the valve's going to open. But, yes, we do not want to exceed the 250 PSI rating of the valve. All right, so so really there isn't, other than other than that, there's there's really no there's real no major concern with it being having having that those two gauges reading differently. Right, that's okay. correct, and it's Perfect. actually common, more common than than not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that yeah, that makes sense. If you get any kind of surge at night, it's going to get trapped, and yes, you will have it. Uh, you'll have the different readings. So, um, can uh, can can we use an accelerator on a double interlock pre-action system? It, 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 is that because we, we use accelerators a lot on dry systems? Is this something we can use on a double interlock pre-action? Yeah, uh, 
we have shown on our technical data sheets on all the system data sheets that show the overall type of system that we have. Mm -hmm. We show the location for where you would install the accelerator in that configuration. Mm -hmm. We call it point A on our data sheet. So if you're ever looking at one of our figures and you see where it says point A, that's talking about the accelerator location for that system. Mm -hmm. So with our double interlock reaction systems, you're typically going to use the Model E1 accelerator because you don't need the built-in anti-flood device that the Model D2 accelerator has right. because we're connecting in the air supply and we have a check valve that's downstream from the accelerator. So when the valve opens, water's going to fill the trim and it's gonna to get to the Easy Riser check valve but it's going to stop at that half inch check valve that's preventing the water from traveling back into the air supply where the accelerator would be located and uh, possibly flooding it out. So that's why the E1 can be used and it's very common to use a accelerator on a double interlock pre-action system. Okay, a couple more questions here then. Um, let's explore some of the options, you know, uh, for the ways in which we can order a pre-action system. There's, you, you kind of touched on these before, but how do, how, what, are my, what are my options when I want a pre-action system, when I want to order one? Well, we offer many different configurations that you could go with depending upon the project and uh, what the requirements might be. For example, we talked about earlier with the Model E and Model F deluge valves. Mm -hmm. Those you have the option, you can get it with loose trim on it. Mm -hmm. You can get it with what we call modular trim where it's uh, hand tight and you just put it together at the unions. Mm -hmm. You can get them pre-trimmed and those would be all your exposed trim options. You also have the option where you could get it with what we call a trim pack, mm -hmm. which is a box with all the trim inside it, pre-assembled and pre-tested here at the factory and you just have steel braided hoses that you run over to make your connections to the valve with. So the trim pack is another possible option. And the last option would be the total pack configuration. So mm -hmm. a total pack three is the current edition of our total pack. And that's offered in a couple different configurations within itself. You can have exposed trim on a skid uh, where it's mounted on the skid. You can have it in what's called a remote unit where you just have the cabinet and if you have a release control panel it might be in another location or you can have the overall unit that's called the self-contained unit mm -hmm. where you can have the panel, you can have a compressor if needed, all the trim, the valve, everything all inside that Total Pack 3 cabinet. So that, that would be your, your options with the Model F and Model E. Now the Total Pack, uh, for the Total Pack 3, it currently uses the Model F deluge valve. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're familiar with an older Total Pack 2 system, you would see a Model E angle style deluge valve being used. The other option is with the Model G series valve. Mm -hmm. So that would be the other option that we offer and that we offer from the factory pre-trimmed mm -hmm. and it comes in quite a few different configurations for uh, the different types of reaction systems. Is, it, is there any limit to the size of the total pack? Uh, the size of the total pack for the total pack 3 we can go up to an 8 inch system and that's one of the nice things about going to the Model F deluge valve. Our Model E that was used in the Total Pack 2, mm -hmm. we only make that up to 6 inch. Mm -hmm. So we're restricted with the Total Pack 2's to a 6 inch maximum size. Now that we're using the Model F and the Total Pack 3's, not only are we reducing the footprint, but now we can go up to an 8 inch size as well. Great. Uh, 
Final question then, why, why and this, this one focuses on Surefire, uh, why does the Surefire pre-action system have two solenoids and, an, and a pneumatic actuator? Well, when we look at the Surefire pre-action system, if you look at the bulk of the trim, it's all the same components that we see with our standard uh, single and double interlock pre-action systems mm -hmm. with what I referred to earlier as the conventional trim. However, the difference lies in we have now a normally open solenoid in line with a pneumatic actuator. And then we have the normally closed solenoid below it. Mm -hmm. So the normally closed solenoid is what's controlling the operation of the system. If it's single interlock, it's going to be just like the first question we had, what's the difference between single and double interlock? Mm -hmm. uh, the, that normally closed solenoid is going to open upon activation of the detection. If it's a double interlock stir fire, then it's going to open upon loss of air pressure and activation of the detection. Mm -hmm. Where it gets different is that normally open solenoid and pneumatic actuator on the top of it. Because this system is designed to convert itself to a dry system upon loss of AC power and battery backup. So anywhere where you might have a situation where you would worry about a natural disaster, or maybe you don't just don't have uh, dependable power mm -hmm. to uh, supply the system that in the location that is being installed mm -hmm. then you can use that to convert itself to a dry system and how it works is during normal power conditions that normally old open solenoid upon loss of air pressure this panel is going to energize it closed because your pneumatic actuator is mechanical so it's going to open and you don't want it to trip the system upon loss of air pressure during power conditions mm -hmm. Now, when we lose AC power and battery backup, that normally closed solenoid that normally controls the system, yeah. it's never going to be energized open. Right. The normally open solenoid in line with the pneumatic actuator is never going to get energized closed. So now we have our mechanical pneumatic actuator being held closed by the air pressure in the piping network. So now our sprinkler activates, air pressure is released off that pneumatic actuator, valve opens, water fills the system, flows out through the open sprinklers, operates just like a dry system. Man. Well, all right then. Uh, that, that does it for this particular episode. Uh, thanks a lot, Sean. It, um, we're going to be next week, uh, next, our, our next, as I promised, next week we're going to get into the fire cycles, fire cycle three and, and, and a discussion there and all the questions we get. This has been Tech Talks. I'm Jim Lake with Sean Kramer. Have a good week.